0: Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you all had a very, very happy and healthy New Year celebration and a very merry Christmas the previous week and a happy Hanukkah. We've been away, but we are back. The holidays are over, and so is our hiatus. We plan on hitting the ground running pretty hard here in 2023 and hope that it brings back hope to the United States and the rest of the world. Compared to the dismal, abysmal economic news we had in 2022. But I'm not so sure that that's going to be the case right off the bat because a few impediments have been cast in front of us. Hello, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you've not already done so, please subscribe to the show. And you can do so in one of several easy ways. You can go to either the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store and download the free Podbean app, which is our hosting service. Search out The Jamie Dury Show and subscribe that way. Or you can use your native podcast aggregator app on whatever device you use and simply search out The Jamie Dury Show. We are listed in the Google Play Store and we are most definitely listed in the iTunes App Store. So, either way, you can subscribe to the show. You can leave reviews and comments, and we desperately would like more of both of a positive nature so we can help the show grow. And naturally, if you want to ask me a question or ask me to cover a particular topic, you can do so by emailing me directly at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. But right now, back to the business at hand. So, Why do I say that right off the bat, we may not get too much in the way of economic recovery? Well, I warned you all about this uh, back when the election was coming around, that the Democrats would do anything to try and maintain hold on power. They have lost it in the Congress in terms of the United States House of Representatives. They still hold on to the Senate. And I also warned you that they would promise you anything and do things in the short term on an executive-level action basis, but they wouldn't pass any legislation. But once they were confident that they had gotten back in, that they'd proceed to screw you over again, and that's exactly what they're doing. Now, let's just look at my home state of New York. My home state of New York provides a very, very interesting uh, pattern for what's going on. The benighted governor that we have here, Gat, uh, Kathy Hochul, who, for those of you who don't live in the state and don't follow it, took over uh, after Andy Il Duce Cuomo had to leave because of his sexual harassment problems and his sexual predatory nature. She was the lieutenant governor, so she automatically became governor, and she decided that once she had the job, she liked it, and she was going to run For governor for the balance of his term, which she has done. And she won uh, by a rather small margin in historical context. Usually, when the polls close in New York, the media can't wait to declare the election over within five minutes. This time, it took them a few hours because they weren't sure how it was going to shake out. But she is the governor for the next four years. And she passed a number of bills that all went to take effect. From this article, I'm Pull quoting from our news break. It states that she put her signature on a number of bills set to take effect yesterday, New Year's Day. The bills passed by the state legislature and signed by will range from lengthening voter registration period to ensuring college athletes can't lose their scholarships if they take an endorsement deal. In some cases, lawmakers have spent years attempting to get these bills signed into law. All told, There are over 100 bills set to take effect this year, including at least 39 on January 1st. Let's take a look at some of them. The wrong church bill. What does that mean? Well, the law will allow voters who cast an affidavit ballot at an unassigned polling site the ability to have that ballot count. The wrong church rule has prevented thousands of ballots from being counted in New York's elections since it took effect in 2005, with New York City having the most affidavits, uh, ballots dismissed. And what does this mean? This means that when you go to vote, you're assigned a polling place. You know where you're supposed to go. Well, many people are too stupid, too ignorant, too lazy to bother to see where they have to vote. Now, in some cases, there may be legitimate reasons why people don't know. Maybe the polling site has been changed and the elderly who have voted there for years uh, cannot be blamed for being confused and going to the wrong place. I don't criticize those people. I'm not speaking to those good people. I'm speaking about people, many of whom probably shouldn't be allowed to vote to begin with because they're illegal aliens, just voting wherever the hell they want. Now, when you go to vote, there's a book here in New York State where your signature is, and you sign that signature. It's kind of a way of letting people know it's you. Well, that signature book is only in the precinct in which you're registered. It's not all over the state. But what they're saying now is if I wanted to vote in one place, that my vote should be counted, even though I didn't vote in the precinct I'm supposed to be voted in. Well, if that's the case, can't someone vote twice? What happens then if someone uses my name, someone knows... That I'm registered to vote and goes up to some precinct where I'm not registered and says, Well, I'm so and so. I'm Jamie Dury. I want to vote. And they vote. And now I go and vote. Do they disqualify my ballot because another one went in first and say I double voted? Or do they count both of them or they throw them both out? See, these are the, the problems that are going to be created. These things that are supposed to solve problems actually create more problems. And they're designed deliberately to create problems and unrest, and um, confusion, so that every vote gets counted, and it's only going to serve the function of allowing a greater amount of fraud to take place. Um, a 2021 report by Vote Early New York, which is a vote rights advocacy group, found that 13,800 affidavit ballots were disqualified during the 2020 general election because they were cast at the wrong poll. This is New York City. Do you really think 13,800 ballots is a lot of ballots in the city of New York? I guarantee you most of them probably shouldn't have been cast to begin with. The impact of this law, according to Newsbreak, is that the law follows the passage of several election reforms passed this year to help bolster voting access across the state. Currently, New York is the eighth worst state when it comes to voter turnout okay, because there's apathy here. People don't believe that anything's going to change, so they don't vote anymore. It's going to change voter registration laws in New York State. New York residents will now be able to register um, up to 10 days before an election, whether it's a general election, a primary, a special election. Before this passage of the new law, the cutoff date was 25 days before the election. It's going to get 14 more judges in New York State, Another, another law that was passed. Going to get four more judges in family court, 10 in state Supreme Court, in New York City. Uh, they say this is going to fix the backlog of cases. Somehow I don't think so. Most judges don't like to work. People who become judges do so because they don't want to work. They just want to sit in, in judgment of other people. And they probably, if they were that much of a go-getter, they wouldn't be judges. They'd be something else. Uh, paid family leave care for siblings. Now, this certainly couldn't cost uh, a state that's already in financial... Uh, strife any more, could it? Starting in 2023, from now on, New Yorkers will be able to take paid family leave to care for a sibling with a serious health condition. Previously, New Yorkers could only take time off to take care of a spouse, a domestic partner, a parent, a step-parent or an in-law, a grandparent or grandchild who was seriously ill, injured, or suffering from a physical or mental condition. You're going to get so many people taking time off and getting paid that it's going to be extremely costly. This change applies primarily to New Yorkers who work for companies that directly pay benefit claims, and New Yorkers are encouraged to verify when sibling care is covered by their employer's paid family leave insurer. How about this one? They're going to remove the Independence Party. The law prohibits political parties from using the word independent or independence in their name, forcing the Independence Party to rename its party. Why? Well, it's technically still a party in the state, but failed to reach the number of signatures in 2020 to automatically get a ballot line. The reason why is they don't want voters registering for the Independence Party who mistakenly thought that when they did it, they were not registering with any party, that they had no party affiliation, that they were truly independent. So they're saying this is designed to eliminate confusion. Actually, it's designed to try and weaken and eliminate a party that opposes the Democratic Party. Now, here's where we get into some other laws that don't make any sense at all, that we don't need to get involved in. The student-athlete compensation law. This law makes clear that students at New York colleges and universities, specifically those in the NCAA, can receive compensation from endorsements without losing their scholarship. Student athletes can also hire an attorney or agent for such business deals without being penalized. Well, let me ask you this question. Scholarships are great for people who have academic ability, but there's a lot of needy people that may very well qualify for a scholarship. If we've got a student athlete that's so great that he can sign endorsement deals in college and make a fortune doing it, why does he have to get a scholarship? Why can't he pay for his own college? Something doesn't seem right here. The new law comes after the NCAA began allowing student athletes to receive compensation from selling their image or likeness, which comes as universities reap revenues from someone's popularity and performance in a sport. Data collected by the U.S. Department of Education shows Syracuse University, home to an array of teams, including basketball, football, and hockey teams, generated $76 million in revenue between July 2020 and July 2021. Okay, so what they're saying now is that they think that the schools are unfairly profiting on the backs of these athletes they want the athlete to get some. Well, I think they should make a limit, though. Uh, When he gets above a certain amount of money, then maybe we make some changes to the scholarship. I do agree that the school shouldn't be profiting on the backs of the athletes like that, but that's not quite the same thing. I'm not so sure this is an area they should have delved into. And then we have also the PETA lunatics, cosmetic testing on animals. This bill will make it illegal for retail stores to sell cosmetic products found to have been tested on animals. Those violating the law can face a $5,000 fine. An additional $1,000 for each day a business violates the law and a potential probe by the state attorney general. The law's passage builds on a global trend. Products that have been tested on animals have been outlawed in other countries. So they're not going to be able to do any of this stuff down. Now, I'm going to come back to another law that was passed in New York in a few minutes, but before I do that, I wanted to run down something that was sent to me uh, by a friend of mine that I have not been able to verify yet, but we're going to look into this a little more. This is laws that were, or tax hikes, that are set to go into effect as of yesterday at the federal level. These are federal tax hikes thanks to President, I don't know who I am, Joe Biden, uh, $225, million, $225 billion increase in the corporate income tax, which of course will be passed on to you and I, $74 billion stock tax, which will hit your nest egg, your 401ks, IRAs, pension plans, $12 billion crude oil tax, which will increase household costs. Six and a half billion dollar natural gas tax, which will increase household energy bills, and a 1.2 billion dollar coal tax, which increase household energy bills. And New York State is also trying to tax and phase out um, people who use fossil fuels and are trying to compel people, particularly new construction, uh, with using electric heat pumps, uh, of course, because electricity doesn't cost anything, of course. And of course, they make that with with uh, with air they don't use fossil fuels to make those things right they just manage to get a rabbit in a cage and he runs around and he spins a little turbine and that makes all of the uh, electricity you need to uh, serve all your needs for your refrigerator and your air conditioning and firing your electric heat pump and so forth this is a complete nonsensical approach until a better more efficient way comes about of heating and cooling and providing energy, these fossil fuels are going to be the way to go. We don't have a solar cell that's efficient enough at creating, uh, at converting solar energy to electricity that's able to act as an adequate substitute. And if we do, uh, it would still have to be even more efficient because we can't make the sun shine any brighter than it already does. So if you can't get enough energy out of what's coming out of the sun now. You can't make more sun. You have to be able to do more with what you get. So you need solar efficiency. Same thing with the wind. When the wind blows, it turns a turbine. The turbine makes electricity, but you can't make the wind blow any harder. The wind blows when it wants to blow. So we have that to consider. So fossil fuels are the way to go right now. But all these other things coming from the federal government, uh, that's not exactly going to make life a lot easier. And in my own state of New York, there was a tax moratorium placed on gasoline to keep prices down. Now that the Democrats uh, are securely back in office for another four years, those taxes are expiring. So we can expect a 16 to 25 cent hike per gallon in gasoline prices in the state overnight. So that's always a pleasure. But the politicians, despite their callous disregard for the needs of the citizenry, always seem to be uniquely in tune with their own needs. So in a country and in a state that has been ravaged by mismanagement by her predecessor and her, where businesses are shuttered, and I live in Manhattan, so I see it every day, businesses that cannot survive, that have been forced out of business because of the Oppressive nature of the COVID lockdowns and the uh, reluctance of people to come back to the city of New York to work. People who are not getting raises in their own red uh, in their own uh, jobs from their employers are now going to have to fund a very substantial and significant raise for our state legislature. Forty-five minutes before it turned the new year. New York Governor Kathy the Hoople Hochul signed a big gift for the state legislators, the Assembly and the Senate. Their salaries, all 213 of them, went from $110,000 a year, which was overpaid to begin with, to $142,000 a year an increase of 29%. They are now the highest paid state legislatures in this entire country. $142,000 a year. What kind of job do you think they did that they deserve a 29% increase in salary? Did you get a 29% increase in salary? When's the last time... You got a 29% increase. In fact, how far back do we have to go in your income over your past, uh, past tax returns to see how long it took for your present salary to be 29% higher than that salary? 10 years? 15 years? It's got to be a piece, a period of time. You didn't get a lump sum 29% increase in 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 salary. And these are the people that brought us bail reform. These are people that let people out, passed these laws. She signed this bill without comment around 11-15. Sure, why would you comment? You don't want anybody to know you're paying people off, but they're doing it. The new salary, New York lawmakers now outpaced California state lawmakers who as of last year made about 120000 a year. Our guys were really paupers, at only $110,000 a year. Now they're going to get $142. They're also going to receive $183 per diem payment for each night they spend in Albany, which can be used for lodging and food. About a dozen lawmakers also earn additional stipends because they occupy leadership posts. The new law will also, for the first time, restrict lawmakers' ability to earn outside income, capping their private pay at $35,000. But that cap doesn't kick in until 2025, giving current lawmakers who exceed that threshold time to decide whether they want to run when their seat is up in 2024. I'll guarantee you they'll be able to make unearned income. They can't make a salary. But I guarantee you they'll be able to make unearned income, which means with their inside knowledge, like every other congresswoman and senator in the United States legislature, um, with their insight into what the laws are going to be, they'll be able to make purchases of stocks. You know, it's amazing how the legislatures really never make a bad stock pick because they know all the information beforehand. That's why it makes me laugh when they used to roll up their sleeves and threaten to prosecute professional athletes for gambling on games uh, in their sport. Uh, So an athlete can't gamble on a game he's a part of, but a politician can invest in companies that he regulates. (laughs) That's not a conflict of interest. The pay increase, uh, thankfully, does not affect uh, Holkle the Hoople's salary. That salary is set by a joint resolution of the legislature. The governor's annual salary is now a quarter of a million dollars. I think that's the highest paid governor in the entire country. But you heard what I just said. The governor's salary is set by a joint resolution of the legislature. Now, does anyone really think that the legislature, which just received a 29% salary increase from the governor, is not going to respond in kind and increase her salary? You want to talk about the law being made by, by politicians for politicians there is no more shining example of that than this. We are in the most corrupt era that I can remember, ladies and gentlemen. This is definitely a closed shop. When you read things like this, if you're an open-minded, educated person, which means you're anything other than a Democrat who went to college, because if you went to college and you're a Democrat, you probably still think everything is okie fine and that Joe Biden is in command of all his faculties and the country's running just great. But if you're somebody else that actually has a brain in their head, you know now why they feared Donald Trump so much, and you know now why Donald Trump got elected. And contrary to the statements of these super ostensibly educated leftists that went to college to be indoctrinated, Donald Trump did not get elected because dumb, uneducated white people voted for him. He got elected because people voted for him who were fed up with this sort of crap being forced down their throat every day. People having to scrimp and save and tighten up their belts while the people who are making their lives miserable are getting their pay increased in in leaps and bounds, laughing at the little people who actually have to work for a living, the little people who pay those salaries. There's no justification for this. None whatsoever. And that's why we hope and pray that by hook or by crook, God will move his giant hand and allow Donald Trump to retake the White House because he's about the only one that would have the courage and the chutzpah to fight these people. DeSantis, good man that he is, who owes his political career to Donald Trump for his original endorsement, I do not think is the man for the job at this time. Because DeSantis, being a first-term president, will want what every first-term administration wants, a second term. Donald Trump, being a second-term president and unable to run for re-election, wouldn't care. And he would simply do what he felt he needed to do to get the ship righted. And that's what we need now. We need somebody who can right the ship. But uh, we're living my friends, in very, very troubled times. And so I really do pray that New York comes back, but I don't think it ever will. But more than that, I hope that the country comes back. New York, I think, has uh, made its bed, and it's going to have to lie in it for some unspecified period of time. Another idea that got new life Democrats are pushing for now that they're going to be pushed out of power in the House, is statehood. They passed, in the twilight hours of their administration of that lower chamber, the Puerto Rico Status Act in mid-December, led by Representative Raul Grijalva, a Democrat from Arizona. If this is signed into law, the act could spark a drastic change to the island's economy. I don't think... Puerto Ricans want to be a state. They have refused it every time it's been offered. And why would you be? You have the protections of the laws of the United States and you have no federal income tax. You're a citizen. You can vote. You can move anywhere in the United States you wish. Why would you want to become a state? I would love it if I lived in a territory This act received unanimous Democratic support in the House, and 16 Republicans crossed the aisle to vote in favor of the bill. Those 16 Republicans we're going to have to identify, and we're going to have to do everything we can to try and get them out of office going forward. One of whom, not surprisingly, is outgoing schmuck, Representative Liz Cheney from Wyoming, a bigger piece of crap of human refuse you will never find, than Representative Liz Cheney. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out, sister. She, view, she views it as an important step in undoing the vestiges of American colonialism. This wasn't a vestige of American colonialism. This was territory we won in a war. It wasn't colonialism. And I don't think the Puerto Ricans have done too badly being a U.S. territory. In the Spanish-American War of 1898, we won Puerto Rico, and I think they've done pretty well from it. Ask anybody who's of Puerto Rican extraction who's living in the United States, and ask them if they'd rather live back under the life that their ancestors had in Puerto Rico. I think they're pretty happy right where they are, and I would agree with that statement. The argument, though, that we have to decolonize Puerto Rico is uncompelling to Puerto Rican resident and chairman of the Ayn Rand Institute, Yaron Brook. When asked about Congressman Nidia Velasquez's remark that the time has come to decolonize Puerto Rico, he told the Times, I don't buy it. He believes the island's inhabitants are better off today than they would have been had the United States granted them independence after the Spanish-American War in the late 1890s. And I agree with that. People should not focus on whether colonialism is inherently evil, according to Brooke, and instead ask themselves, are human beings' lives better lives under this system or not? And this is something we touched on, this sort of reasoning we touched on a few weeks ago when I spoke briefly about the move to try and get reparations uh, for slaves, so or the descendants of slaves in this country, for African American slaves. No question that those people who were taken from their homes in Africa and brought here in chains and made to work as slaves suffered tremendous, uh, inhumane hardships. There's no question about that. And those people, if they were alive, should be deserving of some money, some form of compensation for what they went through. But we're so many generations removed from that now. And the people alive in this country of African-American extraction have not lived under the stain of slavery. Slavery was abolished in this country over 150 years ago. There's nobody alive today that grew up under slavery. So now the question, like the question or the belief uh, posited by Yaron Brook of the Ayn Rand Institute is, are the descendants of these slaves better off living here in the United States as American citizens than they would have been had their ancestors never been brought here, and they were living in some third-world country in Africa? I think we all know the answer to that question. The vast majority, with I'm sure a scant exception, have a far better quality of life living here than they would be if they were living in Africa, which sort of undercuts the argument in favor of reparations. But getting back to the question of Puerto Rican statehood, you know, there's a great many asset management companies and hedge funds based in Puerto Rico precisely because it's a unique uh, climate for those type of businesses. They're protected by the laws of the United States, and yet there are no federal taxes there. But about 25% of Puerto Rican workers are already government employees. The bureaucracy there is quite fat. Real jobs need to be created there. Um, uh, And an economist, another Puerto Rican resident by the name of Peter Schiff, uh, he's also sort of echoed um, the opposition of Mr. Aaron Brook to statehood for the island because he spoke about what kind of tax burden... Would be associated with doing that. He says, Imagine owing, his direct quote from the paper Imagine owning a business in the state of Puerto Rico, a 37% federal income tax, a 15.3% self employment tax, 3.8% Obamacare tax, 33% state income tax, and an 11.5% sales tax. He says, Plus, Since Puerto Rico has more debt per capita than any other state, state taxes will likely be raised. So there you have it. You want to put them on uh, a road to complete dependency? You go ahead and make them a state. Most people that are in favor of the state for Puerto Rico, are in Puerto Rico rather, are in favor of it because it means they get more welfare. And welfare is already too big in this country to begin with. In fact, there's many U.S. states offer unemployment uh, and other benefits that actually exceed the national median household income. If you can get paid more for doing nothing, to be a lazy bum sitting home, having other people pay the freight for you, why would you ever go out and work? If everybody took that position, we'd be finished. This is like communism, socialism. Everybody gets the same, whether you work for it or not. I don't mean to be depressing here. I want it to be a more upbeat um, year for 2023. But before we can do that, we have to face the realities of what the vestiges of 2022 have left us. And before we go, I want to show you that this is not something that's isolated just to the United States, that there's idiocy, uh, plenty throughout the world. And let's go halfway around the world just to show you how far it stretches to a place that I had always previously wanted to go visit. I will never go there now. A place by the name of New Zealand. I'm sure you've heard of it. The other side of the globe. New Zealand has just approved historic legislation that bans young people from buying tobacco for life as it moves toward the goal of making the country smoke-free by 2025. Now, I don't know how they're going to do that. We've only got three years, but actually two years. Uh, But under the new law, any New Zealander born on or after January 1st, 2009, will never be able to legally purchase cigarettes. The legislation accelerates the progress towards a smoke-free and healthier future for the next generation. Quote, this is according to the associate health minister, Aisha Varal. thousands of people will live longer, healthier lives and the health system will be 5 billion better off from not needing to treat the illnesses caused by smoking, such as numerous types of cancer, heart attacks, strokes, and amputations. Now, you would think that everybody was just puffing away down there in New Zealand from this sort of uh, acerbic attack on smoking from the health minister. But it says that currently only 8% of New Zealand adults are daily smokers. And that's approximately half of what it was a decade ago. Quote, we've gotten uh, done very well as a country to get to this point, but there is more to do. That's why the legislation passed today is so important. It puts us firmly on the path to smoke free 2025. Now, nobody wants to see people smoke, but we live in reality and we know that it happens, and some people will smoke. This bill, rather than helping our communities, is simply nanny state prohibition that will cause more problems in our society because, in reality, the effect is it will create a large black market it will kill off our community dairies and it will increase illegal activity and harm in our communities this was the very very gifted insight of Brooke Van Velden deputy leader of the east of the act party who said the goal of reducing smoke is one that sounds nice in theory but would instead leave local dairies, convenient, which is a, a, I'm sorry, I should have made mention, when they use the word dairies in New Zealand, they're not talking about a place where, where you have cows uh, being milked. It, they're called convenience stores. So convenience stores would be out of business uh, as if they were not be able to be able to sell the cigarettes in the uh, quantities they sell them now. But this is what happens when the government tries to get involved, Nathan. The government can't do anything right. And it isn't just the United States government. It's almost any government. The more government gets involved in something, the worse it is. The more government wants to help, the more help you wind up needing. And the more government tries to give you, the more you're dependent on it, because they really don't give you anything that they haven't taken from somebody else first. So it's not just here. But it's interesting, though. The, the express purpose of this law in New Zealand is supposedly to protect young people from themselves, from their own uh, desire to engage in that which is cool and that which is exciting and that which is risky. So they're going to prevent them from smoking cigarettes. But the new law doesn't cover vaping. And apparently vaping is far more appealing to young people than smoking. So the big danger to the young who are going to have all these health problems comes from vaping. A survey of, of 10 students by the uh, 10 year student, 10 years, this is a misprint. A survey of year 10 students, oh, I guess by students in the 10th grade. A survey of year 10 students by the Asthma and Respiratory Foundation of New Zealand found that 1.1% of students surveyed were daily smokers, smokers while 1 in 10 Vaped. So, 10 year students, one out of 100 smoked, but 10 out of 100 vaped. Interesting. And nobody wants to talk about that. If you're really that concerned about the health of people, and you're really trying to reduce medical expenses for all of these diseases that you say are a direct result of people engaging in smoking, Why don't we knock off liquor while we're at it? I'm sure we know there's a lot of diseases that result from alcoholism, cirrhosis of the liver, and other issues. Why don't we get rid of that? Or is it because you like it too much? The nanny state, one of the biggest dangers to any people is its government. Only in the United States was the proposition created by our founding fathers of government of the people, by the people, for the people. The guiding principle of government. That's what made this country great. It was a government of the people. The people themselves viewed it as a sacred duty to be able to serve a couple of terms, then go back to the farm. It was a government by the people. They administered the government. And they did it for the people. Now, it has become a government of the elites and the privileged, a government for the elites and the privileged, and a government by the elites and the privileged. The common man, woman, and child have been forgotten. They are but chattel. And people who have to go about their lives scraping and fighting for every little crumb to be able to fund the luxurious lifestyle enjoyed by the people who administer the country, the privileged, the elite, the career politicians. We're going to do our best to eliminate those people, all in the strict political sense, of course. But we're going to do our part here. Episodes that will be coming up, one which we're really looking forward to is, in light of all that's been found about our FBI, do we really need an FBI? Do we? We have an Office of Homeland Security. We have ICE for immigration. We have U.S. Attorney's Offices, each with their own investigators we have a treasury department we have a marshal service we have a drug enforcement agency and we have military intelligence services that get us all we need to know from around the world do we really need an fbi and who watches the fbi every police department has an internal affairs department where's the internal affairs department and the fbi to investigate and punish their screw-ups doesn't seem to exist. Stay tuned for that episode because it's going to be a doozy. For the Jamie Dury show, I'm Jamie Dury.